Hi, my name is Sarah and this is my podcast. So I have not been on here in forever and I have one main thing that I want to talk about and that is my nervous breakdown that I had. Um, I guess it's been close to a year ago now. I did record a podcast of just a few months after, but I didn't put it out there. Um, now that it's been almost a year, I think that uh, it would be better to talk about it now since I have, you know, a better perspective on it. So that's what I want to talk about. So when you say nervous breakdown, people have an idea of what you're talking about, but there's really... Um, there's no way to understand a nervous breakdown until you've had one. Hollywood is one of the worst things to happen to mental health awareness because it shows everything in such a dramatic light and it can be hard for people to understand. Like you take um, DID or formerly known as multi, multiple personality disorder, sorry. Like you got movies like Split and it's like, the most intense thing and it if you will talk to somebody with DID that is nothing like DID um because well if you haven't watched the movie there's like a personality that's evil that hurts people that normally does not exist with somebody with DID because those personality you know what why am I getting off on this y'all I don't even know anyway if you had asked me like have you had a nervous breakdown before I actually had my nervous breakdown? I wouldn't have known for sure because leaving the cult and everything, there was tons of depression, anxiety, um, unsureness in my life, you know. And it's hard to ask for help. Even, like, even though you may go to a therapist or a psychiatrist it's hard to be fully open and honest with them because you're afraid of judgment and it's like you know i'm married i have a child i'm always like if i say this or that are they going to think i can't care for my child are they going to try to admit me because they have recommended me to admit myself like three times in my two or three times in my life that I never but I never have but you're always afraid because they have the authority to if they see fit admit you um it has to be extreme I think it you have to be they have to be convinced that you're you have a suicide plan I think that's the way it works but you just never know it's just a fear you know what I'm saying and if you go to a mental institution like that or how a mental ward however you want to call it whatever it is um you it's like a minimum three day like you will be gone three days i have never been away from my family for one day <laughs> so it's very very scary and you know so anyway about a year ago i it's been you know it's been a while so i think i had been gone from the Catholic Church and everything I had not found a home church yet and I was very very just tumbling in the wind and I after I left the Catholic Church I truly came to Christ because when I truly came to Christ I realized that in my cult I don't even think I was even saved because I had not fully accepted Jesus 
in like free will because they had it's another story but they had pretty much forced me to pray and quote unquote get saved and um so i think this was before that if i'm remembering right and i've been gone for two years at this point from the cult and um out of all the things that i have been through um even before leaving like all the hurt and the pain and the damage and um just i don't even like you can't describe it honestly i mean your wounds may not always be physical but um some of them are you know but it seems like the worst ones aren't and when somebody can't see it's hard for them to understand and i'm 23 years old you know i look healthy i look like there's nothing in the world wrong with me maybe i have one too many meals here and there but um you would never know that there was anything wrong with me and it makes it hard for people to understand and plus you got people in the social media like glorifying romanticizing mental illness especially depression and it causes people and like i said hollywood too it causes people to to not understand to make it harder for them to understand i mean and for them to just um they they can look at you and be like well you're not as severe as so and so so you must not have that and it's insane to me because that actually happened with um with me with a psychiatric nurse practitioner and that's who I first saw for my um, depression and that they sent me to her after my daughter was born she was in the same building as the um, prenatal stuff so they sent me down there to her and I was talking about my symptoms and stuff and I talked to her about being bipolar and she was like no your mood swings are not severe enough um, if you have bipolar, you do this and you do that. And it was like on the severe end of the spectrum of things. But now I know that there is bipolar type two. There's a one and a two. And I'm on my way to get a diagnosis for that. I'm working with my therapist on that. So um, with all my symptoms and everything, we pretty well know that, I ha that I'm bipolar two. But um, <clears throat> right now, to work towards getting a for sure diagnosis we are filling out these questionnaire things like you will fill it out and then it's like about your feelings and emotions your mental health and stuff like that and then you'll leave and you know wait to your next appointment and come do another one we started doing that so that has been like a, a big thing of getting diagnosed and um so <laughs> I've been through some rough things, I mean, like emotionally, mental health wise, but I felt like I was doing good. And I just, it, it was so crazy. Um, I honestly, I've been gone from this podcast so long. You hear my dog in the background. I don't even know if I have put the podcast on here of, uh, after leaving the Catholic Church, for sure. You know what? I really should go back but um, and listen. 
but uh, you know, it's been kind of crazy. So we, it was prom season and this, if you don't understand how these things work, you're probably going to laugh and you're going to think that it's ridiculous and be like, oh my gosh, what, you're just being dramatic, you're over it, you know, the whole shebang. People with mental health probably know what I'm talking about. And so prom was something very near and dear deep in my heart. And it was something that I always wanted to do. And every year around prom, I would deal with the hurt and pain that I was not going to go. And that's because of my cult, because they wouldn't have allowed me to dress up like that because um, they were very strict about clothes. So I wouldn't have been allowed to dress up like they do in those dresses. Even if it had been a modest dress, they, they still wouldn't have let me do it because you can't have any shimmers or sequins or jewels or like anything like that, nothing shimmery. So I wouldn't have been allowed to do that. There was the music, obviously they didn't agree with any of the music that played and they didn't agree with the dancing. Dancing was considered a sin too. So all the way around, um, I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have even been allowed to curl my hair for prom because that was considered a sin. And so every year it would roll around and I, when I had quit the Holiness Church when I was like 14 or 15, it was right before they like made me get saved. I had planned on going to my senior prom because I was hoping I'd be 18 by then and I'd be able to go. I would have had to leave home in order to, it's so stupid. I would have had to have moved out from my home, my childhood home to go to prom. <laughs> But uh, that didn't happen because I was in the homeless church my senior year at homeschool because they pulled me out of school because of church stuff. And so every year I would um, see people with their prom pictures. I'd see them out taking prom pictures. I would hear them talking about prom, even being really little, uh, maybe in like the second or third grade or something like that I can remember going in the mall and the girls coming in and dress shopping for prom and I would just be like man I wish I could do that and it was just a deep I don't know how to explain it I don't know why it's just one it's just one of those things and it was so deep and the pain from that was so deep because I have been denied such a, a simple thing that a lot of people don't even think twice about that they take for granted that they're just like oh it's prompts they may even complain about I don't want to go dress shopping or whatever and they, I don't blame them for that I mean that's not their fault they you know they don't know they don't understand but uh, this past prom season me and my husband were out eating at a restaurant and now I had spoke to my husband about prom he knew that like I regretted I hadn't got to go and things like that and um, he tried to make me feel better he was like oh you didn't miss anything no ways you know you know how our men are and um, we were in the restaurant and um, the restaurant was right on the street and it had big windows and uh, 
I looked out and I could see people taking their prom pictures. And I dealt with, like my husband, like I said, he knew a little bit, but he had no idea how bad that this pain was. And I mean, no, it doesn't make any sense. Nobody will understand, I know that. But, um, so I was like looking at her beautiful dress, her hair, her makeup, everything. I was like, you know, just, but I was used to it because it happened every year. And um, I was really tore up over it. I, I don't know, I guess because I had left the homeless church and stuff and I had been dealing with so many things that I hadn't really thought about it much. But um, that time I was able to, like my mind had the capacity to, or I guess I, it like it's so, I'm gonna stop apologizing or trying to explain why it's such a big deal. It just is. And so I hadn't taken my medicine that morning, which was a big mistake. And if I haven't talked about it, I don't remember if I have or not, I'm on three different medications right now. Um, a mood stabilizer, anxiety, and antidepressant. Hadn't taken my medicine that morning. And when you are on like the 12 hour extended release, you need to take your medicine, okay? Like, I, I can't, don't do that. Like, don't do that. Just. I don't care if you have to set an alarm on your phone. Just take your medicine, okay? Don't let that cycle run out. But uh, I did that day. And I was very depressed. And I was upset with my husband um, over something. He had hurt my feelings about something. And uh, it's... I barely even remember it. But uh, it's not important to the story. So, But just know that my feelings were hurting him anyway. And uh, so we decided to go out for a drive and he was like, I have a surprise for you. And I was like, okay. And uh, I was fighting tears back this whole time because, you know, I was, he had hurt my feelings anyway. And uh, which do know that I don't bring that up to him. I don't bring any of this up to him anymore. I, I'm just not that type of person. Like if it's in the past, it's in the past, like, like, marriage wise you know what i'm saying i'm not one of those wives to like 10 years later throw up something you know that they did like years ago i'm just not like that so we go riding down the road you know minding my own business and he was like okay you want me to tell you where we're gonna go and i'm like sure he said i was gonna take you down to high school and let you watch he said we can't go in obviously he said but i was gonna let you watch them you know drive in and stuff like my heart dropped to my stomach and I said that's just gonna make it a million times worse I said I don't want to see that and I started crying and stuff and it hurt his feelings because he was just trying to do a nice thing you know what I'm saying he had no clue that it was that I was going to react like that and um I, I couldn't really say anything I was just crying and having a bad time and uh, we stopped and we picked up my daughter from my mother-in-law's because she had been babysitting her for us for a while that day and um, he went in the building to pick her up and uh, to go get her because she lives in a, a high-rise apartment anyway <clears throat> when he got back I was like absolutely like bawling it's not pouring down my face I mean like full-on just having an episode and he realized, you know, like, 
I, I, I guess how bad it hurt me. And I told him, I was like, listen, I know that you were trying to do a nice thing. I was like, and I appreciate that so much. Like, you were so sweet for trying to do that. But, um, you know, I, I reassured him and he felt better, you know. It's a very hard situation when your spouse or partner or boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, when they try to do something nice for you and it ends up just making it a million times worse because you feel bad for saying anything because you know they were just trying your be their best and you don't want to hurt their feelings or anything like that. But I could not go down there. I know people listening will probably be like, well, why don't you just tough it out? Gosh, I mean, he was just trying to do something nice. I couldn't. I could not do that. And so when we got home, I went in the bathroom and he let me have a moment to myself because he knew I was in very bad shape and I wanted to be by myself. And um, so I was sitting there on the bathroom floor with the door locked and uh, my mother picked that exact moment to message me, to text me. And the reason she texted me was because I told her that we were going to go and get some stuff to work on our house that day and obviously after all that happened uh, we didn't go get supplies or anything we you know we came home and um so she messaged me and she said did you guys get anything done today or accomplished today did you guys get anything accomplished that's what she said i remember pausing for like five seconds and then I unleashed the fury of God upon my mother. And because she picked the wrong time. And you know, her and my dad were responsible for that pain. And it's uh, my mom there and my dad. There's a lot of bubbling tension under the surface. We try to pretend it's not there. We smooth it out for my daughter's sake. Um... But when she gets older, it will be up to her whether she decides whatever she decides she wants to do about that relationship. But as for now, um, she doesn't know anything. I, she has wanted to go to church with my mom and dad. And I tell her, like, it's a bad church. There's bad people there. They hurt people. But as far as going into any details or anything like that, I haven't done that. She's three years old. But when she gets older to prevent her from getting sucked into that i am going to have to talk to her about things that are bad and uncomfortable and that sound mean and hurtful one thing can go off the rails and it is an absolute like blow up with me and my parents that's how i know that the tension is so it's like so whatever it's it's a lot and uh so when she messaged me that I went off, and I don't even remember what all I said, honestly. I, I really, really don't. But uh, I do remember that I told her I was having a, a meltdown and that it was because of, like, I never got to do normal things like go to prom. And I told her I was like, I'll never be normal, and it's your guys' fault that I'll never be normal and things like that. And then I turned off my phone. Um, I took my medication and I think when I turned off my phone, that was really when it fully hit me. 
that like the actual nervous breakdown I think that's when it officially happened um actually now I remember I took my medicine before I went in the bathroom and then all that happened I turned the phone off and that's yeah whatever <laughs> not, not even important after you know my medicine had kicked in and I calmed down and stuff I did message her and apologize I didn't take anything back because I didn't say like I didn't say anything that needed to be apologized for or that I needed to take back I didn't say anything that wasn't true like when you're in the homeless church it's like so ingrained in you and I've talked about this with my therapist like don't say anything to hurt people's feelings apologize and you know go back and apologize to this person and be careful don't say this and don't say that and it can be really hard but um and you'll feel guilty you know for saying stuff but you have no reason to but i did apologize and um of course it's always turned around on, on like how you hurt them and this and that and my mom has told me before she's like people look at us like we're monsters like your dad was almost too ashamed to even go out in public after you posted the stuff you did which if you haven't listened to any of my other podcasts i did a facebook live after i first left the homeless church um because i didn't want people to think i quit church and i got on there and i explained myself I, I shouldn't have like i shouldn't have even done that period like just because there was really no point the only thing good that came out of that was meeting the people that i've met and us being able to help each other like met by connecting online or whatever or reconnected with but um that video did a whole lot more harm than it did good it made things a million times worse between me and my parents but and there's been times like i wish i'd never done it and then there's been times where i was like oh you know i would never take that back to this how i feel today i really have no idea if i would take it back or not and like i have talked about this before i don't know if i've talked about it on here because i've been off here for so long um i have been apologized to but um there's no accountability in those apologies it's always um i know i've failed as a mother or we were just doing what we thought was best or we might not have always made the right decision but we were always trying to do what was best it's never i'm sorry that i hurt you it's never i'm sorry i may have been wrong when i done that or this or that or this or that or that thing or that because <laughs> there's so many days but they um i don't know if honestly from conversations that i've had with them i honestly don't even know if they remember i don't know if they just lie to me and tell me they don't remember or they honestly or have blacked it out i honestly don't know but uh so after i apologized there was of course this message about how i had hurt her it was all it's always you know you know how people are they'll turn it back around and be like you hurt me you did this you did that and uh, i did nothing to apologize for but you know i apologize anyway <sighs> and 
so I didn't know at the time that anything had happened besides like a meltdown. I knew I'd had the meltdown, but in the next couple of weeks afterwards, I could tell there was something different about me in my the way I went through my day. I felt like I was in a cloud and I wasn't doing anything different. I wasn't taking any new medications or stopping any medications or anything like that. I was doing what I always doing and I felt so different. And my anxiety was worse. Um, everything was like, it was worse. And I developed social anxiety and I did not have that before. Actually, my social anxiety was so much better because in the homeless church, you go out and you're in this ridiculous looking outfit with this big huge denim skirt that weighs 40 pounds and a big long sleeve shirt or short sleeve shirt that is like covering every orifice of your body and it's 90 degrees outside and you're about to die from heat stroke. I mean, it's just, you know, people look at you. You have stringy, nasty looking hair because you're not allowed to cut it. If there's any homeless people listening, I'm not sorry, because it's honestly just the truth. People are looking at your stringy hair. People are looking at your nasty feet that you won't go to the salon and get them to at least scrape the dead skin off because you're afraid that somebody's going to see you walking in and out of the salon. Y'all, <laughs> I have zero chill today. And it's something as a wholeness person that you get used to. You get used to people looking at you and looking at you like you're weird. I can't imagine how the Mennonites and Amish feel when they go out. But we have Mennonites here where I live, and I just can't imagine. It would be like that on steroids. But I remember when I first started going out in public in pants, um, the feeling of people not looking at me. Like me just blending in with the crowd. And don't come at me with that bull crap. Oh, we're made to stand out. Everybody's unique. Blah, blah, blah. That's not what I'm talking about. I, I don't want to stand out for being weird. You know what I'm saying? And that's what people thought about me when I was in the wholeness church. And I mean, I couldn't. And I, told, I even told my husband, I was like, it's so crazy that people are not staring at me. That I'm just like, you know everybody else and you know obviously you're still unique you're still your own person whatever I gotta say to make you feel better about that <laughs> but hopefully you'll get what I'm trying to convey so my social anxiety was non-existent I had no social anxiety but after this uh, nervous breakdown and don't think that I'm just diagnosing myself because I'm not. I've talked to my psychiatrist about it and he agrees that there was a breakdown. So uh, just know that I'm not like, I hate when people self-diagnose. I really do. And it's dangerous. But uh, so it is, you know, it's, it's diagnosed. So just feel better about that. If in case you were worried about it. But, um, I would go out in public and I would just feel like um like everybody was looking at me and like everybody was wanting to like holding back laughing at me and thinking that I was weird and my mannerisms were weird and uh I had never it had never been like that even when I was in the homeless church it was not that bad 
not as bad as is what I'm trying to say and uh, I didn't I would have panic attacks if I went in public places I didn't go to church for a few months and that was a big deal for me at the time and because I would go to church and I would have a panic attack and I was going to a local church at the time with a, a friend and it was like it was a non-denominational church and it was one of those like small town mega churches like you know what I'm talking about if you're from a small town um for anybody else it'd probably just be like a normal church but for a small town it's like humongous you know and I would get in there and I would have panic attacks and I didn't know where else I wanted to go to church at like I didn't know what I was doing at that point you know and um I had fully come to Christ by this point in time and I knew that I needed to go to church or at least I figured I probably needed to you know so the psychiatrist started uh, me on Valium and he told me to only take them when I was having a, a panic attack I didn't even know I was having panic attacks till he told me that was a panic attack what I was doing in public and um, that was the first time I'd ever taken anything that was like addictive or anything like that and I was very uncomfortable to do so but um, you know desperate times call for desperate measures but they didn't do anything they did not do anything for me they did not help panic attacks they didn't help anxiety they didn't uh, if anything they just made me a little sleepy and that was it I didn't get high <laughs> like nothing nothing happened and um, so the first time that I had a panic attack, I tried to take like half of one that didn't do anything. The next time I had a panic attack, I would like take one and wait for a while, take a half one, take another half. Altogether, I took like three and no effect whatsoever. And I think it must be a genetic thing because I know this is a little off topic, but my mom was prescribed Valium because she was going to have a test run the one where they put you back in the tube thing and she's claustrophobic so they told her like you know take this Valium it was prescribed and everything don't freak out um take this you know before you go in you should be able to do your test and it did nothing for her either so I think it must be like a, a genetic thing why a DNA thing they didn't but anyway so um I told him I was like these are not doing anything and so that's when he started me on the boost bar I think it's what it's called I think that's the brand name but um that really helped my social anxiety a lot it's worse sometimes than it is others so I started taking that I flushed the volumes down the toilet because why even keep them they're not going to help anything anyway and um he uh, he started me on that and things got better but my social anxiety is still bad it's what I would consider bad um, it's not as bad but it's definitely not where it was before I used to be a very outgoing person an extrovert or whatever I didn't have any problem talking to people I enjoyed being around people now I am the total opposite it's very hard for my husband to get me to leave my home there's very little that I enjoy outside my home I do enjoy going thrifting and going out to eat sometimes with my husband sometimes I don't want to go in and eat um, it's 
and it really aggravates me when people are like what are you anxious over what do you have anxiety over why why what's making you feel that way heck if i know if i knew i could fix it you know what i'm saying and my psychiatrist is the world's worst for that he's like why are you feeling why do you feel like why i'm like i don't know i'm just effed up i guess like i don't know what people want me to say so during this time is when things just <sighs> oh geez so i have a psychosis that when i'm in a depressive episode i will hallucinate and i will see things and i'll hear things and it took me till i was like 21 years old or so to even be diagnosed with it because i thought that um growing up i would think that like i was seeing ghosts and stuff and i thought it was like i knew it wasn't normal but i thought it was like you know i thought that's what it was and turns out it wasn't so and it it's really hard to talk about that because it, it's like oh my gosh you see things you hear things i'm not schizophrenic in the least but it is a very rare condition that people do that and people are like oh my gosh what do you see what do you hear like you know and I, I i never hear anything that like tells me to hurt myself or that somebody's going to hurt me or anything like that if if you've not dealt with it I, it must seem really scary but i've done it since i was like eight years old and I hate when it happens like there is a burst of anxiety you know when it happens but you get used to it and so as far as hearing things like sometimes I'll hear voices most of the time I can't even hear what they say um, but when I do it's usually like somebody saying my name like it sounds like somebody I know like my husband or my daughter or something like that saying my name but they didn't um, the craziest thing I've ever heard is one night I was laying in bed and I heard a dog sniffing at my door <laughs> and there was no dog there so <laughs> I got up and searched the house you know looking for this dog and we didn't even have a dog period at the time outside inside anything and um, so I knew it was a hallucination and it's easier when my husband is there because I can ask him, like, did you hear that? Did you see that? And he'll be like, no. And it's so, it's so, like, it's, you just, I don't know. It's funny to me, but it's not funny. It's like, we're just totally used to it. He's like, oh, you're just hallucinating. And I'm like, oh, I'm just hallucinating. Like, it's not even a big deal anymore. <laughs> And it's made worse by stress. And my current psychiatrist, he's like, well, there's no cure for stress. You know, like, you're just going to have to de-stress, like, just ride out the wave, you know. And it's like, man, you know, if I could de-stress myself, don't you think I would have done it by now? Like, I can, only do so, I can only do so much thrifting. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I only got so much money to spend on this. <laughs> and the things that people use to de-stress, man, like, a lot of it involves going out in public and I don't want to do that I took up sewing I would sew clothes and I really enjoyed it really loved it but I started running into some issues because I have scoliosis and, and I know I've had it since sixth grade and uh, but the pain got a lot worse after my daughter was born and 
it uh, I go to a chiropractor and it's gotten a lot better but my anxiety has spiked so much that it causes it causes my back to hurt worse when you have higher levels of anxiety whatever kind of like if you have back problems or knee problems or what the heck ever uh, my therapist told me that it's going to make you hurt worse so I don't know if it was the motions of cutting things out or the sitting um, at the sewing machine or what but it got to where I could not sew anymore like I could not like I would cut some pieces out and it would just like the pain it would be agony and that really affected my depression because it was something I absolutely loved to do and I could not do it anymore and uh, I still haven't been able to do it anymore I took up embroidery so that is a form of sewing and I, I felt like it was a good outlet and I do enjoy it so um, that's really about the only thing I do to de-stress is embroider and thrift and eat <laughs> so but my therapist she was like I, I started with a new therapist because I had to go through REM therapy and I'll talk about that in a minute but um or it's called art is actually what what they call it officially she was like um yeah you don't have to hallucinate <laughs> like you can take a medication for that uh you're gonna have stress like you know life's full of stress she's like you don't have to you know to put yourself through this or whatever so she's referring me to another a second opinion type thing with a psychiatrist. I haven't been able to say them yet, but that's coming anyway. But not only was there all of that, <clears throat> like my anxiety has been so much worse. And so I've been in more pain and I have uh, developed a social anxiety. And the biggest thing really though is I started getting back memories that... I didn't know about I knew that I had years of my life that were just blacked out like I knew that and I would tell my husband about it and he'd be like well I don't remember everything about my childhood and, and all that I don't remember everything and I was like well no it's not like it like it's just total blacked out and I've tried to explain it to him but I guess it's you know hard to understand after the nervous breakdown, I started getting frequent nightmares. And sometimes they'd be intense, sometimes they would not. Sometimes the dreams, more often, they're just uncomfortable dreams. And uh, if that's, <clears throat> if you can understand what I'm saying. And whenever I would have a nightmare or a string of nightmares, I would get a memory back. And the first one that I got back was super intense and I might go into these more later but it causes a lot of you're living it again when you get those memories back you're you're living you're going like you're when it comes back it's not like oh I remember that now it's like you're there like it's like a flashback type thing and that's how I know that I'm not just remembering something it's always like that sometimes it's like stronger than others but there's always that feeling of you're there you feel the exact same emotions again and the scariest part for me was 
I had things that people had done to me were blacked out. There was a girl who I used to have on my Facebook and Instagram and she worked in a, a store in my town and I would see her when I would go in there. And the first memory that I got back was her doing something absolutely horribly awful to me. Um, it was a public humiliation type thing. And I was like, oh my gosh, like how many other times, how many other people is there that this has happened with? And it could be people that I'm friends with that think I'm either desperate for friends or that I'm just like stupid. That is, that was the most stressful thing about getting back memories. I was happy to get my memories back. And my husband was like, well, I think I would just rather not remember. And I'm like, well, I want to remember because I need to move past it, you know? And the therapist was like, when you remember these things, you're grieving all over again and there's like things that stem from the trauma of the cult that I hadn't really realized until my therapist would talk about it with me like being the weird one at school and being the one that got bullied and stuff because I was different <clears throat> because I didn't do normal things like dress up for Halloween or braid my hair or yeah we weren't allowed to braid our hair but like, all the other girls could, like, do the cartwheels and stuff like that, and I couldn't because I was in a skirt. We weren't even allowed to wear shorts under our skirts at the time. That's kind of been a rule that's been relaxed through the years. But lucky me, back when I was a kid, we didn't have that rule that we could do that. And so the, a lot of the bullying and stuff did stem because, from the cult because I was in the cult and living that cult lifestyle, you know. And not... All of them are that bad. I haven't remembered any like really good things though. And it's so crazy how your brain can block things out. And I don't know why that it took a nervous breakdown for that to break loose because you know they say your brain keeps things from you that it knows you can't handle. But after my nervous breakdown I was in a more weakened state of mind, you know. So I don't know why. My brain was like, <laughs> you had a nervous breakdown, here you go. Like, I don't get it, I don't understand it, but it is what it is. And you know, when you talk about all these things, like, even to a therapist, it's like, am I crazy? Like, do you think I'm crazy? Like, I don't think I'm crazy, but I sound like I'm crazy. Like, what do you think? Like, you know what I'm saying? You, like, but here's what you don't know. There are <laughs> countless people who are dealing with things like this behind closed doors that won't say anything. And that's one of the reasons that I want to talk about it is because it's it's got such a stigma around it and people are afraid to say anything and so they suffer in silence. Um, maybe not even wanting to go to a therapist, like maybe not even seeking any kind of help whatsoever, just being like, oh, I'm not doing that. I'm not a crazy person. You're not a crazy person. You're not a crazy person because you deal with these things. I have my struggles daily, but I lead a normal life. You know, even, I'm not saying this stuff for sympathy. I don't want no pity. I'm not, I don't want any of that. But what I'm saying is you can deal with some of 
the wildest things that people who are not in your shoes would not know how to handle, would not know what to do if they suddenly had to live a day in your life. But you can lead a normal life. Or at least <clears throat> as normal <clears throat> like as normal as possible for you. And you know, if you can take medications that help you, why would you not? It's this like your mind gets sick just like anything, any other part of your body. If you if they came and told you you were a diabetic and you need to take insulin, you would take your insulin. If they came to you and was like, Hey, you need heart medication or you're gonna die, you'd take that heart medication. It's the same thing. Oh, you have cancer. You'd probably take the chemo. Like it's it's all like it is. They're all health problems that should be addressed and treated and taken care of if possible. I don't want to get hooked on pills. Yeah. That's one of the, the worst things that especially around here in my area because pain pills and stuff is just like pills or pills are the worst thing in my area I would say and so people think if you take medicines like I have had a person come over to my house and see uh, not the house where I live at now but where I lived at before I had some bottles of medicine out on a shelf in the kitchen and I caught her over there reading what kind of medicines I was taking at the time and I wasn't even on anything like that at the time it was just like vitamins and stuff and like prescribed vitamins and uh like thyroid medicine stuff like that somebody came to my house as a guest and walked over there reading the labels on my medicine there should be zero shame in taking medication for your mental health um if you want to come over to my house right now i can put all my medicines out on the counter and you can read the labels you don't have to sneak and do it you can just ask you know whatever oh i will never forget that that's hilarious but um do not feel ashamed and you can only get better if you start to help yourself and you get help and i would try to treat things on my own like i try to overcome my ocd on my own it some people may be able to do it you might not be i'm not able to do i mean i've helped myself sure but i have not been able to cure myself and i will never be able to cure myself i cured my depression by correcting my chakras and embracing my creativity bullshit you did not if you have true depression you're gonna have to get it treated or god's gonna have to heal you one and don't wait around for a healing and suffer when it might not even be in God's will to heal you anyway. My depression is caused by a chemical imbalance in my brain, most likely inherited. That's what my psychiatrist told me. And people in homeless church, it's like mental health problems is either the devil fooling with you or or you just not being where you need to be with God or, or you're possessed or some kind of bull crap like that. And it's just not true. And uh, <clears throat> if you're a Christian, you don't got to worry about being possessed anyway. And I don't know who started the nonsense that the devil and his demons can read your mind and put thoughts in your mind. That is nowhere in the Bible that 
the Satan is going to come into your mind and read your mind and put thoughts in your head. People give the devil a whole lot more credit than he deserves because I feel like most of the time he just stands back and watches because we do a perfect job about like a great job of wrecking ourselves. You know, he doesn't need to interfere as much as people think he does. Especially like when you're dealing with OCD and you think that Satan can put thoughts in your head and you think intrusive thoughts is Satan in your head. People, um, I've been told like our mind is our biggest war ground and that's true. But that's not because the devil is putting thoughts in your head. And I have been told as well um, by a very well-meaning lady and I still like her, I still respect her. But um, she's like, if you're not where you need to be with God, that can affect your depression. And yeah, that may be true to some extent, but you're not, you can be as close to God as Moses was and still deal with depression. Like that doesn't mean he's going to heal you from your depression because it's not his will to heal everybody. I don't think that, uh, you know, he gave doctors this knowledge for a reason. And I don't know why people try to shame others for going and getting the help that they need. Like if a person in Holmes Church goes and gets on anti-anxiety medicine, they are looked down on. But the preacher who is 500 pounds, who eats like a, a freaking, I don't know what, and has to go to the hospital to get quadruple bypass surgery, nobody even blinks at that. Okay, we can eat ourselves to death, but we cannot go get medicine for our mental health. Okay. But I guess that's the end of this podcast and I hope that you enjoyed it and I hope that it helped you. And if you are dealing with any of these things, I've been asked like, what do I, how do I get on the road to getting diagnosed with this? And <clears throat> I recommend that you go to your primary doctor and you get referred to a therapist who in turn can refer you to a psychiatrist. I think that it's better to speak to a therapist first because, and you might not like the first therapist that you go to, it's fine. But, you know, once you find the one that's a fit for you and you trust them, you can feel confident to go to the psychiatrist that they recommend. I mean, it may be better in a different, like, differently for you. Whatever. You know, whatever works for you. But that's what worked uh, pretty well in my case. Except I didn't go to my primary doctor first. They They sent me there after my daughter was born. So it was all in with the... Uh, Whatever that is for pregnant women. It was all in that together. So that's why I didn't go to my primary doctor first. But, um, so, start there. And, you know, don't be, don't be afraid. And I even felt guilty when I first started going to therapy. Because I was like, there's people that's been through so much more than me. I feel selfish for even being here acting like I have a problem. Which, you know, I wasn't acting. But, you know what I'm saying. But you have your own problems and your own feelings and no matter what anybody else has been through, your feelings and how you are, how they're affecting you, it's all valid and it all matters just as much as anyone else. So, I guess that is all and I hope you have a wonderful day and let's continue to keep each other in our prayers. Oh, yeah, and I forgot to talk about the REM art therapy stuff, but... I'd like to do a whole podcast on that. So I'm just going to say that it is a therapy for PTSD. And they use it like 
for soldiers that's been in combat and stuff like that. But I would love to do just the whole podcast on that, so I'm not going to go all into it. But, um, yeah, I totally forgot to talk about it. But uh, anyways, I hope you guys will join me for the next podcast.